please be seated. Our text today is taken from the 13th chapter of the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. We'll start reading at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men, There we go. Sorry, new microphone system. All right. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have faith, and though I... I was doing that, okay? Uh, And how irritating is that to have this microphone system that sounds like it's not actually working? And as soon as it would cut out, it did things to our ability to hear and appreciate and interpret this message. It was annoying when the microphone would cut out because suddenly this critical element was missing. We couldn't hear the things that were said, right? Even when it clicked back in, there was still this like sense of unease, maybe even like irritation. It shifted our focus when the microphone would cut out, when this critical element would cut out. All of a sudden, we were paying more attention to the speaker or to the technology, and all of a sudden, the focus was off of the word and what it means and how it applies. Our text today is about something not dissimilar to that, a critical element that binds everything together, something at the core of what it means to be a Christian, to what it, for what it means for a Christian to have a relationship with God, for us to have a relationship with one another. It binds together. It makes Christian doctrine make sense. It's at the core of what it means to be human. These verses highlight love. And as soon as you remove that, even as soon as you start to jiggle it a little bit, all of these things quickly start to fall apart. Now, as I said, this is from Paul's letter that he wrote to the church at uh, Corinth. We're familiar with these verses. We use these verses a lot. You've probably heard them many times. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard these verses. These are the love verses uh, uh, from Corinthians. But the the church that he was delivering them to, it wasn't a particularly like lovey-dovey set of circumstances that he was delivering them uh, uh, these words in, right? He was trying to illustrate for them what love looked like because they had such a lousy idea of what love looked like. For the most of this book, he's been talking to them about sexual sins that they've been grappling with. There was a guy, and he was sleeping with his, at best, his stepmother, maybe real mother. Like, Corinth is a messed up place, and uh, he was addressing this very uh, directly. What does love look like? But he wasn't just writing this to the church at Corinth with incestuous members and warped ideas about what it means to love. He's writing it to us as well, which is a bit uncomfortable to be lumped in with these people that we would identify as having such a skewed perspective on love. Here is what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 8, to them and to us. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith and that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. From childhood, love is ingrained in us as something that is valuable, important, something that is necessary. But in many ways, we get communicated to us a warped version of what love is. We get a version of love that focuses primarily on ourselves. A selfish love, even in terms of its uh, most common expressions, right? I love chess. I love Star Wars. I love lots of nerdy things. Hi, Nerds Unite. And uh, that's... <laughs> I love a lot of things that are exceedingly nerdy. I love a l- and this part comes part of my identity, right? I identify myself in that way. It's selfish of uh, me. It's a self-reflection. But even when I look at other people, I oftentimes think about love in exactly the same way. My research team and I actually did an experiment. This is a secular research experiment we did, by the way, uh, at a public university, right? We did an experiment where we did a content analysis looking at 60 years of popular music, all the most popular music, uh, Emmy Award-winning music from uh, the past 60 years. And what we discovered was, as you might expect, it pretty much was all about love, right? It is a boring trope about how music tends to be all about love. But it was a specific kind of love that we identified. It was a selfish kind of love, an egoistic uh, kind of love, a a self-focused one. And this goes back, it doesn't matter how old you are, this is how they were singing about love, about what it does for you and what you can get out of it and what you can expect from it and how angry you should be if you don't get it. Even if we look at the songs that are popular right now, they do exactly uh, the same thing. I I really hesitate to bring them up because if I bring them up, then they're going to get stuck in our heads and they're going to be echoing in there. But the top two songs right now go very directly to this. They are so vile. I cannot say them from the pulpit, right? I can give you the indication, right? In a minute, I'm going to need a sentimental, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. This is an incredibly self-centered love song, right? It's about what she needs, what she wants, what her expectations are, and how useless everybody else is if they can't meet them. Second most popular song, A, B, C, D, E. It's all about love violated, right? And how angry you should be about it. Now, all I did was badly sing a tiny portion of those songs. And I'm willing to bet for a lot of us, the remainder of those songs is still in there. We're not 
actively singing them, right? We're not actively looking at them or listening to them, but they're playing in here. And while they play in here, they are informing our view of the world and of love and what we should expect, that it's something for and about us. Mr. Rogers had a really cool trick that he pulled when he won the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award at the Emmys. And I'd like to just do it right here uh, today as a little experiment, let's say. Uh, you have made it a long way. You're college students. That required effort to uh, get here. You're faculty members. You're workers in God's kingdom. You're here not because of only your own efforts. There's someone in your life who loved you into being, who loved you so much and encouraged you and gave of themselves so that you could be here now doing what you do. Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they live far away. Maybe they're in heaven. But let's take 10 seconds of silence right now to just think about that person. 10 seconds of quiet to think about the person who loved you into being. That is a human being with human imperfect love. And look how central they were to who you are and what you've become. Think about how happy they would be to know that you were thinking of them uh, in those 10 seconds. Love is at the center of who you have become. Love is at the root of everything. Love or the lack of it. And in our verses today, Paul writes just as much about the lack of love as he does about what love actually is. He says, if I do not have love, then I become something, I lose something. I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The word clanging here is actually the same word that you might use to have like a battle cry, like an aggressive, distracting noise uh, that, that drowns things out. I might have a message for humanity, but if I don't have love, it's all drowned out. It's all meaningless. I am only a distraction. He says, if I uh, give all that I have to the poor and I'm, trying to, I'm gaining treasures for heaven where moth and uh, rust do not destroy, right? Give all I have to the poor and I, my body is burned and endures all these hardships, but I don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. I gain nothing, he writes. And what about the things that we really do use to define ourselves, our intellect, our faith, our relationship with God, if we have those things, but we do not have love, he very strikingly writes, I am nothing. We may have been loved into being, but without love ourselves, we may as well not have been. We may as well have been nothing. Reviewing these verses and looking at the positive and negative, uh, the positive qualities of love and the negative aspects of not having it, it's difficult to not see ourselves in this. And these verses paint an ugly picture of who we are as a consequence that we're part of the problem with this world, that I stand to gain nothing from a wasted life. 
that without love, ultimately, I am nothing and may as well have never been. Christians will often say, God is love. And we use it as a phrase so often that now pastors, the whole front row when I said that, they all recoiled uh, uh, because it's become very, very cliche. We've used these lines uh, a lot. But think about this quite literally, that God is love. Look how well he works in the verses uh, that we've got today. We could take every time it says love and replace it with God or Jesus, and it works exactly as well. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not God, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith and could move mountains, but I don't have God, I am nothing. You go down to the positives. Uh, Jesus suffers long and is kind. He does not envy, does not parade himself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek his own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God never fails. When we say that God is love, it's not a hollow expression right? It is a profession of faith. It is a, an observation that our love can only be wrapped up in the love that God has shown for us. And that love is a pointed one, because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can walk right through these verses. God's love suffered long. It was patient when we turned our backs on him. God's love did not parade itself or puff itself up. God's love wasn't proud, even to the point that Jesus, Lord of all things, was not too proud to be born in a stable and laid in an animal feeding trough. God's love did not behave rudely towards others. It didn't compare itself with us. It didn't dishonor us. In fact, he lived the perfect life that I should have lived and then took that life and gave it over to me, gave me full credit for the life that I should have lived. Far from dishonoring my life, he gave me a life that was worthy of honor. Jesus' love did not seek itself. It was not self-seeking. And in fact, it was so non-self-seeking that ultimately he gave of himself on the cross, taking every punishment, every suffering that me, by my lack of love for God and for my fellow creatures, deserved. God's love thought no evil. It kept no record of wrongs. My sins are well and truly swept away. I can stand before God showing a life that's clean, showing Jesus's life, and knowing that my own actions, my own lack of love no longer condemns me. And that is true love. Christians are right to point to Christ as the source and fuel of the love that we have for others. I do think it's important that we don't point too quickly uh, to Christ when showing love, right? This is love that God shows to us and that he works inside of us and that we then show uh, to others. It's an opportunity for us to point other people to the reason that we have love, to point other people to Christ and his love. 
right? But typically that would come after we show love. Uh, in his very, very excellent sermon yesterday, uh, Professor Proch uh, was up here and he, sa- he made an offer that if anyone was uh, struggling or wrestling with anything, that they should, uh, that they should feel free to, to get in touch and reach out to him. And I want to take this opportunity to make uh, the same offer to all of you, okay? If you are hurting, if you need help, if you just need a shoulder to cry on, if you just need uh, somebody to pray for you, uh, please call Professor Proch. Right? <laughs> now, how loving was that, really, right? I'm reflecting the love that he showed, but how much more effective would it have been to reflect that love to invite you to talk to me? And then while you're talking to me and crying on my shoulder, then to say, you know, it was actually Professor Prokes who gave me the idea to do this. That is how you reflect love. It starts with the showing of love, right? It should be a prayer for us that the most reliable way that we have to direct other people to the love that God has for them is that his love is so obvious in our lives by how we love others, by how we love one another with a godly love, with a love that never fails. Amen. Please rise. We join our hearts in prayer. Lord of love, we thank you for the undeserved love you have shown to us. In every way that our love fails, your love persists. Grant us grace to see you as you reveal yourself, a loving father, a self-sacrificing brother, a constant loving companion in life. Guide our ways and work in our hearts true love for you and for one another for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen.